Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are more than enough. We thank you, God, that this is, this is not the time for us to ever become concerned or afraid of what may happen. We want to trust in your words. We want to trust in your work. And so we'll walk with you during this season. Lord, we love you. We rest in you. We abide in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, honored to be before our uh, live online audience. Also honored to have the 10 people up in here. Amen and amen. Um, social distancing 2020, praise the Lord. Um, and so, um, so listen, we, we, uh, as I said, we are going to respond to this moment with clarity because we believe before the foundation of the world, God chose us for this moment. We're not going to back away from this moment. But I, I, do, I do just want to say that um, the most responsible thing you can do right now is practice social distancing. Um, if you are uh, right now, the governor says that um, 54 percent of the people that are being infected here with the virus here in New York state are between the ages of 18 to 49, which is right at the heart of our church. And so as our church, I pray more than uh, us being involved in any other kind of movement, the movement we need to be a part of right now is staying at home. Right. And not being any not doing anything else That is the most responsible thing you can do. That is the thing you're going to tell your grandkids that I did my best to not uh, transfer the virus to anybody else by staying at home, watching IG live and doing all these other things. Praise God, because I did not want to transfer it. All right. So let's make sure we practice what our government is asking us to do in this moment. Um, One of the crazy things that that we are experiencing right now is no one saw this coming. Right. And one of the one of the ways that we are organized as people is we want to prepare ourselves for moments that we think can be coming. There's actually a book I I got a hold of called The Complete Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Kind of a crazy book. Right. Um, in the book, uh, this is an actual book. You can get this on Amazon. Um, in the book, it, it, there is how to fend off a shark, uh, just in case you have a shark come at you. Um, how to wrestle free from an alligator, just because that could happen to your life. How to escape a bad date. Amen? How many of y'all need that? How to survive if you're jumping out of a plane, but your rip cord doesn't open. How to detangle a bird that gets in your hair. Right. This is an actual book because... You never know when your nightmare will be staring you right in the face. And you want to be prepared for this moment where you know good and well, I know what to do right now. I wonder if you've ever felt powerless, where you said to yourself, man, how do I navigate this moment? How do I know what to do next? There is that moment that will come upon us all, and for many of us, we're in it now because of COVID-19. Oftentimes, when you see people in a nightmare scenario, and you see them go through it, you ask them, how did they make it through that? 
good friend of mine, Tadashi Anderson, in 2013, uh, rather 2012, his, his, grand, his uh, mother-in-law put his one-year-old son down for a nap. He had just gotten some medicine from the hospital. He hadn't been feeling well. Once his mother-in-law put their little son Chase down for a nap, that nap turned into his last sleep. Little Chase, one years old, never woke up. Tadashi is a Christian rapper, and he had just finished a concert. He was on a plane at the time, and his wife texted him from the plane. The woman sitting next to him on the plane began to rub his back as he just cried. It is the last thing he could ever want. It is the last thing he could ever imagine. It was his worst nightmare. Tadashi and his wife, Danielle, they had their funeral uh, there in Texas. And when they had their funeral, little Chase, little casket, dressed in his little white suit. I remember being so overwhelmed with emotion. Then there in the church, there's no casket there, but it was just us singing, preacher preached. And then they said, um, Danielle Anderson would like to say something. His, his mom wanted to say something. And I thought to myself, what is this woman going to say? Like, what, what could she possibly say right now? I mean, I'm just, I'm barely keeping it together myself. She got up on the stage. And she said that everyone that's coming around me right now keeps saying, hold your kids tighter because you never know when they'll leave. And she said, and I'll never forget, she said, that's true. I need to hold my kids tighter, but I'm trying to hold on to Jesus right now. She said, I could have held Chase as tight as I wanted. That couldn't have kept him from the end. What I need to hold on to is Jesus. And I remember standing there looking at her like, how did she make it through this? How did this woman just communicate this? And if you've ever seen anybody go through a crisis and you go to yourself, I could never have faith like that. I could never make it through that worst case scenario. And in actuality, one of the things that we would be missing out on when we communicate that, when we, say, when we see someone working through a nightmare scenario and we see their faith, and we think of it as something that is awkward and huge, almost like a, a talent. One of the things that we end up doing is we misappropriate what faith actually is. You see, what faith is, is it's, it's not some kind of like gift where you sing and you have like, oh man, that person has faith, like, like they're a good singer or they have a talent. Faith is not a talent. But what the truth of the matter is, is that everyone has faith. We just proportion it differently to different things. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, it has a second part, conviction of things not seen. But I just want to stand right there. Um, it is the assurance 
of things hoped for. When, when we say assurance, what it's actually saying is the word is, it is the foundation on which we stand. It's the very thing that you're depending on as you walk. It's what you're sure of. It's what you know what will be. And in actuality, when Danielle was up there talking about holding on to Jesus, what she was essentially saying was, it's not that I have some big faith. He is what I'm holding on to. He is what I'm sure of right now. When I, when I was in a junior college, I, I fractured my ankle. And I had to wear, I had to put on uh, crutches. And I'll never forget one of my friends kicked it. I fell to the ground. I looked like a fool. That's what friends are for, praise God. Right? <laughs> right? You know, and it was just like, uh, and it was so, it was so crazy because, because I could not lean on my own, I had to have these crutches to move. And it was kind of a running joke, like I couldn't get anywhere without a crutch. And what I'm trying to tell you is everybody has a crutch. The question isn't, do you have a crutch? The question is, is Christ your crutch? That's what he's saying. He's my foundation. He's how I get by. She's, she's saying, that's how I'm going to make it through this. I'm going to walk through this limping with the crutches of Christ. That's faith, y'all. It's not having all the answers. It's not knowing what's next. It's not based on breaking news. It's not having a cure. It is having the crutches of Christ and making it through that, having the assurance, having that as our crutch, because you have a crutch. The question is, is Christ your crutch? Is Christ what you lean on? Is Christ your assurance? Is he your hope? And this story today is when you face your tragedy, your, your suffering, your moment where you're questioning things. Your crutch gets kicked. God will reveal what your crutch is. God is a crutch kicker. So you can see what you're actually leaning on. If you had a bar, if you had a restaurant, and if that was what you were leaning on, he showed you what your crutch was. He's a crutch kicker. He reveals what we are leaning on. That is what this story we're going to look at in John chapter 4. Christ, the crutch kicker. John chapter 4, it is this incredible moment where this man is in the worst case scenario. It says in John chapter 4, verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So there's something very interesting here he puts here is that this is around Cana and Capernaum, but in Cana is where he turned the water into wine. Now, the reason why he puts that there is because it's acknowledging that Jesus now was recognized as what? A miracle worker. Word spreads. People knew that if this man could turn water into wine, what else could he do? And so it says that there was an official's son. Now, the word in the Greek for official is the word basilikos. It's where we get uh, basil basilis. So basilis would be king. Basilikos would be a nobleman of the king. So most likely he is a royal official. And in being a royal official, he is most, part, most likely part of King Herod's dynasty, Herod Antipas. Now, King Herod was a bad boy. 
right? King Herod killed people. King Herod was the one that killed John the Baptist. This was a corrupt dynasty. And essentially what they did was they got whatever they wanted. When they wanted a kingdom, they'd kill people. If you wanted a woman, you would just take her. And so most likely this man of of, 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 of no, royal nobility is very accustomed to getting what he wants. He's a powerful man. You know, power and resources will get you far in life. Yes, it will. Oh, yes. And I don't mean just power, like money power. Like some of y'all are out there are broke, but that doesn't mean you have power. Don't, don't have power. Oh, you got power. Some of you are attractive and you have made your way through life because you are attractive. Yeah, you, you got things other people couldn't get because you're attractive. You've gotten out of situations that you could not have got out of if you didn't look the way you did. I mean, now, now, so there's, there's people who are financially set. Yes, they have money, but then there are people who, ha who just look a certain way and you know you look a certain way. And when you walk, you know people look, you have a certain magnetism to you, but there's some of you that are intelligent and you know you can always outthink the next man or the next woman. There's some of you that are eloquent and you know you can outtalk the next person. But there comes a point where you find out money can't buy everything. There comes a point when you find out beauty can get you just so far. And God loves us so much that he reveals the power source that we've been leading on. And he shows that he is the actual source. He shows how we've been leaning on everything else. Your beauty, your talent, your insight, where you're from. God used the suffering of a little boy. Can you imagine that? This nobleman can do anything, but he can't help his boy. They don't tell us, but I'm sure he spent all the money in the world to get the best doctors. He could get anything he wants, but he can't change this. You ever been there? You're in a crisis and you, you've been able to talk your way out. You've been able to look the part, but you can't change this. I want you to know that God puts you in a can't change this moment to meet the Christ. That's why that's the only reason why he's here. He, he's not checking for Jesus any other day if he wasn't in a can't change this moment. He's a powerful man who is powerless. God makes us powerless so we can meet his great power. It is in this moment, in John 4, 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now note that this man most likely, based upon the region he's in, has taken a 20-mile trip just to see Jesus. And so he says, he asked him to come down. Now the, the, the text doesn't say the actual words he uses, but we can presume this man of nobility and power essentially tells Jesus, come with me and heal my son. 
Because I'm used to people doing what I say. He wanted Jesus to make a 20-mile trip with him. A trip that most likely you'd have to have an overnight bag. You'd have to stay in a hotel. Jesus, come take this two-day trip with me to heal my son. Jesus, throughout the scriptures, it is very interesting because people ask Jesus to do all types of things. And Jesus' response is always very honest. And not just honest about what he can do, but also the posture that they were coming in. Jesus, if you look at in Luke 8, when the woman touches his feet, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In Luke 7, 50, the adulterous woman, he says, your faith has saved you. In Luke 17, when there were lepers, he says, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then there was this blind man and he cries out to Jesus. He says, Lord, I want my sight. And Jesus says to him in Luke 18, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Over and over again throughout Matthew and Mark and John, there's this recurring theme that Jesus is kind of telling them, this is how you're about to get blessed. Your faith did it. It wasn't because you, you pushed harder than other people. It wasn't because of your networking. It wasn't because of your insight. Your faith has made you well. And so he acknowledges not what was about them, but what was in them. It was their faith that made them well. I'm so glad that Jesus actually gives them a summary of how the miracle happened. It was your faith. Well, (laughs) what's Jesus going to say? Now, Jesus has this tendency to be honest. Amen. (laughs) He is the king of kings and the clapback king. Amen. So Jesus says something really powerful to him. He says in John chapter four, verse 48, he says, Unless, now he's talking right to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus, I love how he personalizes this. Now, there's two ways to look at this because this is written in Greek and it's written in plural. So in one way, he's saying you people, your kind. You're the type of person that if I don't do it in the right time, if I'm not your magician, you won't respond with faith. But he's also, I love the fact that he's acknowledging that other people came at me a different way. You need signs and wonders. You need something different. You know, my kids, um, I think my kids are watching this, so let's just say Santa Claus is real. Praise God. My kids, they leave a cookie for Santa Claus, some milk, and they never see him. They just leave something out, and in the morning, they get what they want. They never see him, but they just get what they want. In other words, they want his presence, but not his presence. And in many ways, what he is acknowledging is... (laughs) Young man, you, you, you want my presence like a magician, like Santa Claus, like I'm your servant, but you don't want my presence. You don't want me. 
You want what I can give you. You heard I was a miracle and you wanted the miracle, but not the miracle worker. You don't want me. You want what I can do for you. And Jesus loves him enough to tell him what he's actually leaning on, to show him that what in actuality he is fickle, wanting just what he can get from God. We are in a moment in our country where we're all looking for answers. We're all trying to figure out what to do. We're all trying to think to ourselves, like, what is it that I can do to be in the favor of God? Because I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to see my family and friends die. I don't want this pandemic to completely alter the way I've been living. And if you haven't at some moment been shook a little bit by this moment, you, 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 might, you might not be human. You might not be engaging because we're in a, a crisis moment. It's okay to be concerned during this time. And maybe, maybe you checked out this live today because you're desperate. You know, you're just like, man, I, I, I need something. I mean, ain't no baseball on, huh? huh? Ain't no basketball on. Ain't no spring game. We the only show in town, amen, huh? Yeah. Church's the only thing live, only thing coming at you live. No, no, but, but honestly, honestly, outside of the fact that there's nothing else going on, that you, you checked in today because it's like, I need hope. I'm desperate. And so you come to Jesus out of desperation. But I want to acknowledge to you that this man walked 20 miles to meet Jesus because he was desperate. But I want you to know desperation's not enough. You see, when you have desperation plus recognition, that's when miracles happen. When you have the desperation for God, but the recognition of who God truly is, that's, that's the combination that is explosive of knowing the living God, the true God. It is in that moment where we work through our suffering and we see God for who he is. It is the universal human experience to hate suffering. It is the universal human experience to want to avoid the worst case scenario. It is universal. We all want out and we all want a miracle to happen. Who doesn't? We are all desperate. But it, there, there can be a chance when our desperation is just to get out of the situation and we don't even care who it is that gets us out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, sometimes we have to be careful because sometimes our prayer requests aren't actually prayer requests. It's just us rehearsing our suffering to the sky. Not necessarily engaging a person that actually exists, a person with a name, a person that wants to encounter you and engage you as a real individual. And what I'm saying is that God has done something in our society where he has shut everything down. And I wonder if we are just looking to God. I think that's why it's so easy to call him the universe, because it doesn't matter how personal he is, as long as he keeps giving me my gifts, giving me what I want. But maybe God's like, no, I need you to know my name. I need you to check out a, a church. I need you to know my name. It is not just enough to know what I can do for you. That is the crux of what's happening here. 
this man is being challenged to know God deeply and personally, to know his name, not just what he can do. He says in John 4, 49, sir, come down before my child dies. <laughs> okay, come on, Jesus. Like now? We doing this whole theology thing now? Like I need to, okay, you're, you're right. I only want, some, I just want my kid to not die, but can you just come down with me? Like, can you match my urgency? You ever go into the emergency room and the emergency people don't act like it's an emergency? You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't match your urgency. Like, why are we in a conversation? Why are you asking me all these other questions? Like, in this moment, he's like, can we just get to the point of where we can walk together? Can you do the thing I came here for? Jesus, in verse 50, says, go. Your son will live. Go. Your son will live. That's it. That's it. That's the miracle. Boop. God bless. Good night. That's it. That's the miracle. He says, go. Your son will live. And look, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And now this man heard Jesus say five words, go, your son will live. And now he's got to walk 20 miles by himself, no escort, by himself, go. Your son will live. I wonder if he, while he's walking, he said, well, he would live. I mean, but he, he got into why miracle. I don't know. I don't know even know what that's about, but go. Your son will live. That's what he said. And every step he was taking on those 20 miles by himself. Can you imagine walking all the way, wondering when he says will live, did he heal him just then? Or will he heal him when I walk in? I mean, will they be standing applauding when I walk? I mean, what does it mean your son will live? 20 miles he walks by himself. Up until this point, Jesus hadn't done no long distance healing before. He's like, you can do that, Jesus? You can do a long, you can do like a Zoom distance? You do Zoom healings? Is that what you do? You do Google Hangout healings, God? Is that what you do? I mean, I didn't know you could do that, Jesus. I didn't know you could be away but still be there. I mean, what are you doing? I never heard of that. You can still work while we're apart? Oh. Huh. Well, he's going down. He's walking. Now, he's walking these 20 miles by himself. Go. Your son will live. Go. Your son will live. That's what he said. He said, go. Your son will live. That's all, that's, that's all I got. And his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he's like, oh my gosh. But I am so amazed by what this man does. Because it says in verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. 
I mean, I'm sure that he was like, are you serious? He's better. Oh my God. And then they start walking back and they're like, yeah, I mean, they meet him on the road and maybe they're at the, like the 10 mile mark and like they're walking a couple of miles together. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When? Like, when? Like, just tell me the time. Just tell me the time. They're like, we don't know. We didn't look up, but just tell me, tell me the time. When did it happen? And he asked the hour and they said to him, oh, about the seventh hour, the fever left him. And it says in verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And what it says, and he himself believed and all his household. Now, come on, John, tell me the story. In verse 50, you said he believed. But then in verse 53, you said he believed. Which is it? Did he believe or did he believe? But I believe what happened here is that he believed, then he believed. You see, what happened was when he first engaged Jesus, all he had was the words of God and he had to walk it out. He had to walk it out. He had to walk it out. That's all he had was the words. Do you understand that he got the word from Jesus that his son will live? And, not, and that, that became what we call a promise. And the old folks would say that he was standing on the promises of God. That every step of those 20 miles, he had to say to himself, your son will live. He had to believe your son will live. He had to trust my son would live. All he had was to stand on God's promises. But guess what it said? He believed because he began to walk it out. But then it says in verse 53, he believed again. And once he believed again, it shows us, church, that we have an ever-increasing faith. And then while he's walking down, he believed. I, I, I trust you, God. I, I trust your promises. And then once you see God do something in your life, it is intended to increase your faith. And I hate to tell you this, but it's true. The same thing happens again sometimes. That you believe and you're like, I'm going to walk it out. And then you believe and then he puts you back in a state of suffering again. So you just believe his word. Now, I want you to understand that this man is not in the season that we're in. There was no breaking news that your son was going to live. He did not get notifications on his phone. Your sons will live. All he had was the promises of God. And I'm telling you right now, I praise God for Governor Cuomo. I think he's doing a great job. I think he's giving us, us some updates. Uh, we have a president. No comment. Praise God. Like we've got a lot. I think we got scientists working on the situation. And somebody, I believe this is going to work out, but I do not know how this is going to work out. But I'm standing on the promises of God. And I want you to walk with me as I walk this out, and then when we get on the other side, because right now we're in verse 50, we believe, but when we get to verse 53, we're gonna believe, believe. Go walk with me as we get to verse 53, huh? Oh, let's hold each other's hands so we can testify and say, what hour did it happen? You know, I trusted way back in verse 50, praise God. I trusted then and I trust now. You can tell your grandkids, I believed that I believed. I believed. And then I believed. And I want you to right now believe. 
No, what are you standing on? You're standing on scientists? Are you standing on the government? Are you standing on your age? No, we're standing on the promises of God. We're standing on the promises of God and that's all we really have. That's all we really have are his promises, his words, and then we gotta walk it out. We gotta trust he's gonna meet us on this road. Oh, we're gonna believe and believe. (laughs) Now, we are in a moment of belief. John says, I write this. And John 20, he says, I've written this so that you would believe. And this moment right now is about believing, about believing God, believing in Jesus. Believe, believe. Do you believe? And do you believe him for more than just the miracle of healing? Do you believe who he is, that he is the son of God, that he is on the throne, that he did rise on the third day? Do you believe? Do you believe and believe? (laughs) Well, emotionally, when you are in this pressing space of faith, when you're being challenged, when your crutches have been kicked out and it's revealed you've been leaning on something else, it is one of the most challenging moments you can have in life. And you want to listen to your heart, right? Because that's what the world tells us, listen to your heart. Y'all, my heart be crazy sometimes. Like, I just want you to know my heart be bugging in the morning. My heart, I'm like, heart, stop. Like, you you understand? Like, the whole world's like, listen to your heart. I don't want to listen to my heart. I want to tell my heart something. You see, the difference between faith and doubt is unbelief is just listening to your heart. Faith is telling your heart a story. What do you have to say to your heart? Psalm 42, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Listen to what, listen, listen. This week, look at Psalm 42. This is what David did. This is what you've done this week. You've been walking it out. You've been wondering. You've been working it out. You've been thinking. You've been, trials have been going through many of our minds. And you say, why are you downcast? I mean, why am I bugging? I'm in this house by myself. I've been in my pajamas all day. How much can I Netflix and chill? No more ice cream. You're like, why am I downcast? Why am I outside? You're feeling this weight. Why am I downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I'm feeling the weight of this world. I'm feeling the weight of this life. I'm feeling the weight of this moment. That's what your heart's saying. Your heart's crying out. Look what David does. David says, look, look, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Oh, he preached to his heart. He didn't just listen to it. He preached to it. He told his heart a story. Your heart is not your best counselor. Your heart is a window into what's going on with you, but true faith is when you stand 
And everything is wilding out. Even inside of you is going crazy. And you tell your soul, why are you downcast? Hope. And that is the word that we have. All we have is our faith and hope and trust in him. And the psalmist said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Listen to what he says. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ I stand. Or the, the way we sung it in my church, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of it. All, everything else is just a crooked crutch that can't hold you up. Christ is my crutch. Christ is how I make it. Christ is what I lean on. And that's how I'm going to walk this out. And I encourage you, walk with me. Church, let's walk it out together. Let's lean on Jesus. Let him be our crutch during this season. Let him be everything, our everything, because every other ground. You were building up your resume and you were networking and you were going to open up an office somewhere else. And that you found out was sinking sand. You were just about to get that promotion and you found out it was sinking sand. And Christ kicked out your crutch so he could catch you and he could become your crutch. See him today. Lean on his words. Trust him. We will live through this moment together by being the bridge, walking it out together. Christ, we love you. Oh, we love you. On Christ, our solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Every other crutch can't hold up my life. For every industry, for every power source, I have leaned on God. Father, I turn from every other crutch and I make you my crutch again, God. I'll be be my ground, be my assurance, be my solid rock in Christ's name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.